1: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Tuesday afternoon, September 5th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. A new plan would remake the CTA, Metra, and Pace. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the latest report on factory orders is out today, while the week ahead will include more scrutiny on Fed policy and a close eye on oil prices. Joining us now on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business. Business home is Tom Hudson, financial journalist based in Miami. Tom, thank you for joining us today. And before we look ahead at some of the numbers to come out this week, let's look back at the jobs report on Friday. The analysts have had an entire long weekend to kind of absorb and uh, develop some thoughts about the August jobs report. And, and what's the take now on that report that we've had a couple of days to look at it and think it over?
2: Yeah, we've had uh, we've had the ability to curl up with the uh, jobs report on the beach, right, just uh, for the end of summer over the Labor Day. Exactly.
1: And, uh, I, I just envision someone, you know, dropping their pina colada when they see the June revisions.
2: <laughs> well, I think this weekend it was a margarita, not a pina colada. Yes, uh, indeed. Out of respect, indeed. But I think, you know, it's the Goldilocks moment. That was the word used on Friday. It was not too hot, certainly not too cold. 187,000 new jobs created in the month of August. That is a decent jobs report by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, the unemployment rate ticked up, but more people coming back to the job market is going to help fuel that. Still an unemployment rate well below 5%, which it previously had been thought of as full employment. Earnings uh, still healthy, but slowing down. You know, one area that I saw a lot of talk and focus on was this temporary jobs number. So temporary jobs actually down by 19,000 as an indication of cooling demand uh, companies, if they're unable to find permanent solutions to open positions, will go to temp uh, job uh, 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 companies and look for folks to get bodies into those positions. With those jobs, those positions cooling down, maybe we're seeing a, a bit more of a um, a bit more of a moderation in the jobs market here as we move into and continue into the fall.
1: We're talking to Tom Hudson, financial journalist based in Miami. Uh, We do, uh, tomorrow, we're going to get a reading on the uh, service sector in the month of August, which is expected to show a little bit of softening in that particular portion of the economy.
2: Yeah, it's an important piece here. It doesn't get necessarily a lot of attention outside of economists and some market uh, makers, but it's an important piece because services, particularly service hiring, service jobs, is a significant piece of the employment and workforce picture and obviously is kind of where a lot of the spending post-pandemic spending had uh, had uh, has been pouring into we've seen it in travel and hospitality for instance so it's going to be a key read of just kind of the the uh, wherewithal of the consumer as we move into the last half of this year
1: and then very quickly let's take a look at factory orders plunging in july after four straight gains where is the manufacturing sector right now
3: Uh,
2: Manufacturing, if you believe the Biden administration manufacturing sector is rebounding with some new investments, capital investments, but uh, factory orders were down really driven by a drop in transportation orders, which is a a, a big weight in uh, factory orders, Uh, but it was down less than feared. So perhaps not quite inducing a lot of concern here just yet and
1: then i want to touch on uh, the price of oil which is popping once again on concerns about supply Uh, saudi arabia saying they're not going to turn on the spigot anytime soon and kind of the the paradoxical thing about saying that we are going to have a soft landing and we are going to avoid a recession is that that kind of resets the oil market
2: it does. Right. I mean, higher gasoline prices, is a tax on every driver out there and really every good that is delivered to your home on a truck or a plane or any other kind of transportation that uses a petroleum product. All uh, gas prices, four dollars, uh, four dollars and climbing, certainly. Um, and here we are outside of the peak driving season in the United States as we're all back to work after Labor Day. But many of us are still able to, I guess, work from home, which is lucky for us. Tom
1: Hudson, financial journalist based in Miami, thank you for joining us today. Coming up, we'll talk about the future of public transportation in the Chicago area. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Metro trains, CTA buses and trains and pace buses all looking down at a fiscal cliff. And now a panel of lawmakers, transit officials and civic leaders have been working on a plan to remake public transportation in the Chicago area. Let's learn more from Joe Schwederman, professor for public services and director of the Chadwick Institute at DePaul, based in Chicago. Joe, thanks for joining us today. Uh, COVID-19 has changed the way we all work and live and how we get around. And even with people returning to the office, uh, at best, you could see 68 percent pre-pandemic ridership a couple of years from now. And uh, that is leading to an unavoidable fiscal reality potential for for 40 percent service cuts. And the response, Joe, is the most bold and comprehensive reimagining of public transportation in Chicago since the founding of the RTA nearly 50 years ago.
4: That's a fair statement. I mean, this uh, this plan really is ambitious. It's called Plan for Action for Regional Transit or PART, and it's put together by Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, CMAP, uh, lawmakers, civic groups, and the reason this is really capturing attention is one: it proposes uh, uh, to expand. Uh, parts of the, eliminate parts of the exemption of sales tax on services. So there's a tax piece to it that's a pretty heavy lift politically, but uh, seen as maybe the the best course of action. But even uh, perhaps more uh, strikingly, it talks about restructuring the way the CTA, Metra, and PACE are governed, where perhaps City Hall couldn't control uh, the board of the CTA in the same way they have in the past. So it has pretty big uh, political implications, which would be fascinating to see it play out.
1: We're talking to Joe Schwederman, professor of public services, director of the Chapnick Institute at DePaul University in Chicago. But but the reality is uh, COVID-19 changed the way that we all go to work. The idea of everybody uh, schleps to the bus stop or the train platform on Monday to get to work by 9 and then they leave at 5 o'clock on a Friday. Those days are gone. Uh, You have workers who may spend three days in the office. You have different commute times. You have uh, maybe higher ridership on weekends. And on top of that, you have this looming fiscal reality that when the uh, COVID 19 aid runs out, uh, they're going to have to try to figure out how to live inside that fiscal reality without drastically cutting service.
4: Oh, yeah. And that's exactly, you summarized it very well that we had just a change in how we live after the pandemic, rush hours different, fewer people are using transit, particularly commuter trains are down the most. Uh, People have shifted their patterns they are no longer going to rush hour. And we're finding them are price sensitive, too. I mean, so they're they're demanding uh, bargains and deals. Then we see that on some of the Metro experiments, the the lower fares. And uh, on top of that, you know, the federal funding uh, with the stimulus package and other aid packages have kept transit in a pretty good place to 2026. But then we hit the so-called cliff and there's no easy way to deal with this cliff besides you know, big picture thinking about funding and service levels, and that cliff is coming, and people are are quite apprehensive. And this report, you know, attempts to to get the ball rolling on that.
1: And then very quickly, Joe, we're going to talk about the CTA, uh, which you know, a lot of rider complaints about ghost buses and ghost trains, and you know, maybe there is a political heavy lift about uh, changing the uh, tax funding formula for public transit, and with good reason. But let's talk about the political heavy lift of pulling the CTA out. Of the purview of the city of Chicago and making it more of a uh, giving it more regional governance.
4: Yeah, that's right. And uh, one thing that every advocate says is we have to make transit work better. It's got to be more seamless. We, while we have Ventra, which the different you know services are on, we have to have common ticketing and better connections, and just you know reinvent transit to make it more effective the way people live. And uh, a lot of people, myself included, think the best way to get there is to rethink the governance so the uh incentives to work together are even greater than today and so by putting uh the cta in a more regional context in exchange for more funding that could be a deal that's acceptable to the you know the political uh, establishment because we all see that uh if nothing dramatic is done you know, this clip could be really painful
1: Joe Schwederman, DePaul University, thanks for joining us today. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. You know, sometimes the expense of child care can override the financial value of a job. Let's get some insight from Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions based in Forest Park, author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today. And there is no larger expense for younger couples than child care before their kids go to school. And sometimes, Chris, it, it forces you to uh, do some difficult math problems in your head and make
0: some difficult decisions. And maybe cry, too, when you really look at the expense. You know, I looking at, you know, let's say you make $100,000 a year. I know not everybody makes that. Some make less, some more. But you're going to net about sixty-eight grand After paying maybe 30000 in daycare expenses, you're left with $38,000. Is that worth the time away from your baby? And are there other ways to make up that $38,000? I say probably if you're willing. You know, how about don't eat out anymore? Just make home-cooked meals. It's better for you anyway. Only buy what you need and buy on sale. And don't you ever underestimate a very good thrift store. Become part of a mom's network or dad's network so you can share clothes and shoes. You know those babies grow so quickly It's very cost effective to share and get a good solid network going.
1: Oh, Chris, I would love to do a study on the just amount of second and third hand baby clothes and items that are just circulating out there. And it's, it's interesting you bring that point up, like we're in the process of having a garage sale and all the baby clothes that we bought for our girls 10 years ago, uh, they're going out, they're going to be up for sale <laughs> in a couple of days. And well, even though it's a bitter, fun. even though it's a bittersweet moment, you remember, uh, all the moments and all the pictures of your kids inside them. Yes. Uh, baby clothes, uh, you don't necessarily, and we probably got half of them secondhand to begin with.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, you said, there's more, though. You know, let's say you do all that, but it's still not enough to really make ends meet. And, you know, it's a struggle when you think about giving up the career that was giving you $100,000 in our example. But maybe there's something else that can be just as fulfilling, even more flexible to help you make that You know, leftover thirty eight grand you're missing, or maybe not even missing. Maybe it's only twenty four thousand that you need to make up, and finding something with more flexibility, shorter hours, you could work from home, will help to reduce your childcare costs whenever possible. You know, I I was a single mom for a while, and I did not marry well, (laughs) so I didn't have a lot of money to back me up. I moved in with my baby's in law. And you will know what, it worked out just fine. It wasn't great, but there's always a way to make it work. Um, I think, you know, you can shop around, you could swap around for child care as well. Maybe even share a nanny, share some caregivers, um, see who in the family can help out. You know, it really depends on where you're at. I know before I talked about maybe finding an you know, all pair that can move in with you if you have the space. That'll save you a lot of money, too. You know what too? Don't forget all the tax deductions that are available. So make sure you're taking a look at that as well. That can help offset some things. I don't know, Rob. It's not a pretty picture, especially when you consider inflation right now. Because you used to be able to go to the grocery store and maybe spend two, three hundred dollars. Now throw another on that. So it's 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 all getting whacked at all sides.
1: It's all part of the stories you'll be telling your grandkids one day. Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park, thanks for joining us today.
5: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date to Detectives. They bag eggs like the twelve precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on news radio WBBM. It was a dangerous and at times deadly weekend on Lake Michigan. Much of the country wilting under the weight of a massive heat wave. In Travel Tuesday, deciding whether it's a good idea to bring a dog or cat on a vacation flight. Strikes in Hollywood continue with auto workers in Detroit. They could be walking picket lines soon. WBBM Business, the markets are low. The Dow is down 150 points. The Nasdaq is down 12. The S&P 500 is down 16. We have 90 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies, going up to 92 today, but the real field temperature is in the upper 90s. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. There have been four incidents in two days on Lake Michigan in the Chicago area, leaving three people, including a child, dead and a fourth in critical condition.
4: The latest incident occurred at about 9 a.m about a mile off mccormick place someone went for a swim off a 27 foot boat and did not resurface a rescue operation became a recovery operation This, after a 46-year-old woman was pulled from Montrose Harbor at about 2 a.m., she was taken to a hospital in critical condition. A 27-year-old man died after being pulled from the lake near 49th Street after 10 p.m., and the child, 14 years old, was in critical condition after being pulled from the lake in East Chicago on Monday afternoon and later died. The Great Lakes Surf Rescue Project, which tracks incidents, reports a half-dozen deaths in Lake Michigan in two days in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM.
1: If you're hot today, you're not alone. More than half the country dealing with dangerous heat, and it's affecting the start of the school year in some places. From
0: Philadelphia to Detroit, some schools are sending students home early amid the extreme heat. Stephanie Abrams at the Weather Channel warns it will be a challenge for days.
2: Wednesday and also into our Thursday, we're going to say 10 to 15 degrees above average here.
0: In Washington, D.C., along the National Mall, tourists are roasting while they try and get some sightseeing in. We stop and sit down once in a while, we try to find some shade. Allison Keyes, CBS News, Washington.
1: It's 1232 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are lower today. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Philip Colmar, global strategist with MRB Partners based in New York. Phil, thank you for joining us today. And it seems like the price of oil is weighing on the markets on this Tuesday.
6: Well, and it's also the, the 10-year Treasury uh, yield that started to rise again. So um, I think uh, I think people need to keep an eye on, particularly the latter. We saw that go up in the summer, and, uh, and it took the wind out of uh, equities at the time, and we're threatening to come to breaking into new highs again or retest those highs of the summers and ultimately to new highs. So I think, I think it's the bond market that's been causing the volatility in the market. Of course, oil is not helping.
1: Now, they, it's kind of a paradoxical thing. You have uh, the, 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 the numbers and the indications kind of suggest that uh, we are going to avoid the recession, that the Fed may actually engineer the soft landing. And yet the drawdown in oil prices, one of the contributing factors over the last year or so, is this belief that there will eventually be a recession which is going to reduce demand worldwide. And if there's no recession, then you got to rethink the, the, the price of oil. Uh, globally,
6: yeah. To be honest, I think that that uh, people got wrong-footed on the recession call earlier this year. A lot of people had made that bet. We we leaned heavily against it, but but certainly the consensus in the market was that there was going to be a recession. I think people have realized that this level of interest rates, both Fed funds rates, but also bond yields, is not breaking to the economy even the interest rate-sensitive components of the economy are starting to improve. So, so that's starting to unwind. But there's still this hope, or I guess the, those that were negative on the economy sort of pushed it out a year um, and expected that ultimately we would see a recession now next year. Although the real argument is, is what is the catalyst? Because if the, the current level of interest rates isn't doing that, then, then probably things are going higher first. So in other words, oil prices go higher. It's not a bad risk-on environment, but you have to really be, in terms of equities, You got to be selective because a lot of the leadership earlier this year benefited on that lower interest rate environment, you know, thinking of your tech related growth stocks.
1: Well, speaking of the uh, the interest rate environment, I mean, you know, raising it five percentage points over the course of a year—that's uh, you know, you, that means you haven't seen the the full impact of it just yet, and that you do have a lot of businesses that manage to finance debt at lower interest rates, and eventually they're going to run into that higher interest rate environment. Consumers are already uh, running into that higher interest rate environment. If you have to buy a house at a higher rate compared to what you got uh, two years ago. Or maybe you're trying to buy a car because the old one uh, ran out and you got to finance a car at 6 or 7%. And a, a lot of sectors of the economy haven't encountered that higher interest rate environment, even though it's already here.
6: Yeah, I'd say that that's fair. I mean, the, the one... Offset to it all is is that the household sector, after the 2000 uh, housing bust, um, they really spend a long time refixing their balance sheets. And so U- U.S. consumers or household sector does have a lot lower leverage relative to their income. So that's one reason why the level of interest rates has been able to get to this point without choking out the consumer entirely. That being said, for as you said, those bigger ticket items, homes, cars, those things will will feel the pinch from from higher interest rates. We've already seen a cooling in them. Uh, We've seen a bit of a pickup in housing as of late, um, highlighting that there's still a lot of demand out there and we may not have hit that breaking point. Um, But but yes, there will be a feed through through uh to the economy. But I think what you are seeing is is the resilience of that household sector, partially because there was fiscal transfers to it as well during the pandemic, and it's still being able to eat away at its excess savings. Um, that we are going to see an environment where we might get another punch higher in bond yields. And in that environment, just from an equity perspective, you'd, you'd want to favor those uh, equity markets that are, you know, don't demand such a valuation premium, have a bit of a cushion, and those that maybe have relative earning support that can withstand it. So in other words, part of segments that aren't going to be pinched by that higher um, bond yield environment that you're, or more interest rate environment that you're pointing out.
1: Philip Colmar, global strategist with MRB Partners in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, the implications of bringing the pet on your next airline flight. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Travel Tuesday. Dogs and cats can be part of the family. And for some people, that means they're invited on vacation. Let's talk about the challenges of that with Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Find her online, Travel BTA. Dot com Angie, thank you for joining us today. When we think about someone bringing an animal on an airplane that is not an assistance dog or a therapy dog, uh, we think about some of the more outrageous examples, the person trying to get the emotional support peacock or pot-bellied pig on board the airplane. But what is the more common experience for someone bringing a, a dog or a cat on an airline flight with them?
5: I think it depends on the purpose. Like, why is the dog or cat or other animal needing, needing to be on that trip with you? Is this a last-minute trip where you don't have someone who can care for that pet? Or are they traveling, for example, because they have health issues and you're trying to get your pet to a doctor in a different destination? So I think knowing why this pet needs to travel with you is definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration before you just decide it's safe and okay for your pet to travel with you.
1: Historically, what has been the airline policy on bringing an animal into the cabin, and how has that changed over the years?
5: It got lenient for a while, and I think that things are tightening up again. Some airlines are looking at the costs associated with allowing for pets to travel to a higher degree, and therefore they're imposing an expense for people to travel with their pets. And it's also becoming a little bit more scrutinized as to whether or not a pet is needed to travel if that is the reason for why the travel is able to the pet is able to accompany a traveler
1: we're talking to angie rice co-founder of boutique travel advisors based in scottsdale Find her online travelbta.com. and as far as the airlines are concerned um uh, service animals uh for, for a genuine need let's say a seeing eye dog or you do yes. need a therapy animal uh for some uh, very substantial reason uh what what's the airline policy there
5: the airlines are trying to accommodate, and certainly it's going to require paperwork and, and information to substantiate that it's a, medically, a medical necessity for that pet to travel with you. But we also have to consider the fact that if you are a traveler and you need your pet to travel with you, you might want to consider the type of pets that you choose. Are they small enough, and can they indoor travel? travel. I think it's important for your veterinarian to evaluate your pets. I have a dog Bowie and I have a cat food paw. And these pets mean so much to our family. And when we take road trips, for example, closer to home, we find accommodations that allow us to bring our pets. But then when we're taking international travel, we actually rely on caregivers to help with our pets. And you do have resources that allow for people to take care of your pet so that they don't have to travel with you. So certainly assess whether or not it's really in the best interest for your pet. How do they do in a vehicle when they're traveling? If they don't do well in a vehicle, they're probably not going to do very well in an airplane as well. And if it truly is a necessity for you for whatever reason or for your pet to travel, we have even flown pets privately. So there are resources. I mean, certainly that's more expensive. But if you're really wanting that pet and you want to make sure that that pet feels comfortable traveling, there are ways to better travel by plane privately for your pets as well.
1: Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors in Scottsdale, Arizona. Find her online at travelbta.com. Thank you for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, the latest on an unsettled labor market in Hollywood and Detroit. Investing 60 minutes each weekday for planning for the future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are indications an auto workers strike will take place when the UAW's contract ends a week from Thursday. That would come as long walkouts involving writers and actors likely continue. Let's talk about the atmosphere behind the actions with Dennis Devani, labor attorney with Clark Hill Law in Chicago. Dennis, thank you for joining us today. This certainly is uh, an environment where uh, the labor movement and labor unions uh, certainly feel uh, emboldened and. And how does this stack up to uh, other periods in history?
3: Well, you know, the the unions are making a bit of a comeback. I mean, if you look at uh, how they're doing, for example, in NLRB elections, uh, they're they're having a a pretty good win rate over the last six months. And, you know, the UAW, it was a close election. But Fein, the new uh, president, uh, very much is saying uh, he's ready to go to the mat. Uh, with the big three uh, because uh, it's time from the union's perspective uh, for them to get rid of the two-tiered wage system to increase the uh, up to, I think they're talking 45 or 46 percent on the hourly rate and some issues that need to be addressed from the union's perspective about both retirement and and hours work. Um, The uh, a lot of the uh, the union members are, are you know working 60 70 hours a week and that's another question and that's being raised
1: we're talking to labor attorney Dennis Devaney. It, it seems like going throughout history, at least back uh, through the end of World War II, uh, there are a light of a lot of strikes during periods of high inflation. Like there was, it was a you know, inflation jump after the war. There were a number of strikes, and the the anti labor Taft Hartley Act was signed into law at the end of the 1940s. And then there were a lot of uh, uh, there were a number of strikes in the 70s and into the early 80s. Is that is that typically a contributing factor?
3: Well, I think it is a factor, and I think, uh, you know, our firm, we represent a lot of suppliers, and we're very concerned about where they sit at this point uh, because uh, it's my guess, uh, notwithstanding what's been said so far by the new president of the UAW, that they're probably going to target one of the big three, and I think there may be then an extension and some discussions uh, with the other two, if I was a betting person, I think it'll be Stellantis and the UAW if there's a strike on the 15th when the uh, contract is marked.
1: Dennis Devani, labor attorney with Clark Hill Law in Chicago, thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app.
2: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.